Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post Senate act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. And welcome to Awesome Etiquette, where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your questions on forgetful relatives, showing gratitude for a recommendation, keeping a party secret, and asking to buy someone's home. Plus, your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and a postscript segment from Twitter on embarrassing situations. For Awesome Etiquette sustaining members, your extra question of the week is about birthday party clipboard RSVPs. All that's coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be produced in Burlington, Vermont by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. And we have another book announcement. Oh, do we now? <laughs> oh, we do. What's going on, cousin? We've talked about this one before. My friend Kelly Williams-Brown and I are going to be co-authoring a book together for Audible. Kelly Williams-Brown is the author of the best-selling book, Adulting, and her follow-up book, Grace. And she has another in the works. But in the meantime, she and I have partnered up for this book that we are titling Mistakes Were Made. And this book is an audio book with Audible. It's an Audible original. And it will be all of the most embarrassing mistakes from social lives around the country, possibly around the world. It really depends on who chooses to submit their story for this project. We are actually taking audience submissions for this. It is really exciting to get to work not just straight from your own head, (laughs) but to actually get stories and hear stories from folks. Things about that walk home, things about most horrifying business overnight trip experiences. We've got tales from every dinner table you could possibly imagine that I am hoping to hear about. They are out there. They are really fun. They are moments that we can laugh about and commiserate about. And maybe even try to find out maybe what we could do next time to avoid such a situation. I can't wait to see where this project goes. (laughs) Right? You and Kelly are hysterical. (laughs) I've had the good fortune to walk by the office and hear one half of conversations between the two of you. And if you can bring any of that to this book, it's going to be hysterical. I'm hoping. I'm hoping it's a fun listen. I'm hoping it's that feel of like when you and your best friend get together and you just say, oh, my gosh. You're not going to believe what just happened. 
So this book is more than a collaboration between you and Kelly. It's you and Kelly and everyone who submits uh, awkward or embarrassing situation or story. You got it, cuz. You got it. So tell us what we have to do to submit our stories. So you can go to emilypost.com where we do have a link to the Mistakes Were Made website as well as the Mistakes Were Made submissions portal. And there you will find a nice, easy submit your story button to click that takes you write to a form and that form gets submitted to Kelly and myself and if your story is chosen we will be in touch but it's it's going to be really fun it's going to be really exciting we want tales big and small so um, don't be shy if it's something a slight minor embarrassment as well as you know that true paper bag over face moment for the rest of your life <laughs> Are you going to share some of your stories for yeah, this book? Yeah, no, I have a story for this book. It actually, it took me a while to think about which one to share, but you reminded me of it one day, and I was like, oh my gosh, you're right. That's totally a mortifying story. Well, I can't remember that, so I'm going to have to read the book. <laughs> you're going to have to listen to the book, because it is going to be an Audible original. We're really excited for this. Definitely visit emilypost.com to find the submissions portal so that you can submit your story. We would love to hear from you. Well, we have some submissions for this show. Yes, we do. Should we get to some questions? Absolutely. Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions on how to behave. If you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can also leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette with your post so that we know you want your question on the show. And Sustaining Members, remember to put Sustaining Member in your message. We'll answer your questions on the Sustaining Member episode. Awesome Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? <laughs> StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. <laughs> After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. 
that's manners with an S, to save $10 on your first purchase. And now, back to our show. Our first question is titled, Grandma, My Name Is. Lizzie and Dan, my elderly grandmother, she's 100, has many grandchildren and great-grandchildren. As she has aged, it has become difficult for her to remember exactly who we are, and she does very well with a little prompting. In person, I'd do this by adding how we are related at the first of the conversation, such as, Hi, Grandma, it's Heather. I'm Nedra's daughter. So here's the problem. I'm writing her a Mother's Day card, and I'm unsure how to sign it. In years past, I'd write Love Heather, but this year I need to add some kind of wording about who I am. It feels so awkward. How do you suggest I handle this? Thanks so much, Heather. Heather, this is such a thoughtful question, and 100, awesome, woohoo! I like your approach. I like how you're thinking here about how to translate what's worked really successfully for you in person to the way you approach sending a card. I think the answer is pretty simple. I would sign something like your loving granddaughter, Heather, and that way you've established that same relationship. If you want to go even further, you could, in the body of the the note, make your last sentence something that references the type or the particular granddaughter that you are. I'm thinking something like, you're such a wonderful grandmother, you were such a great mother to my mother, Nedra. And then you've really established all of the connections that might be important or relevant. I wouldn't include all that in the signature, but I think you can right. stick it right in the body of the note. No, I'm with you. I also, I, I really liked your first approach of your granddaughter, Heather. It just puts you so clearly in the space of what the relationship is. It's even okay if grandma doesn't remember which child you come from. That's also okay, I think, just putting in the your granddaughter. I, I just think it's nice. It's simple. It keeps it very, very easy, I think. And know that no matter what, even just the card is the nice part of it. That, you know, I've, I know when we've taken care of our elderly relatives, that just depending where they are along that aging process, sometimes it matters greatly to make that connection. And other times it's just about getting that sentiment across of happy Mother's Day, you're cared for. And, you know, here's a lovely card. And it really, it really does do good things as well, even if that one signature piece isn't making all the connections fire. Practicality being oftentimes the heart of good etiquette. Yes. You can think about the purpose of the note. And I love that emphasis on the fundamental purpose here being to express happy Mother's Day, happy birthday, whatever it is. It doesn't require anything of your grandmother. She doesn't need to reply to this card. So you don't need to be sure to give her every piece of information that she would need to make that reply. You've done your job from an etiquette perspective in that you've set someone up to do what they need to do next. And in this case, that's just appreciate that they got something from you, not necessarily respond to it. One final thought, you could always include a picture and also write on the back of it your name and your connection to your grandmother. Heather, thanks so much for letting us explore this topic. We hope you have many more wonderful events to celebrate with your grandmother. But there's more. There is another need. There is the promise of a rich and fruitful old age. The knowledge that the last 20 years, the gift of modern medicine and science, need not be spent alone, unwanted, useless. 
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Our next question is about a gratitude gift for a recommendation. Dear Lizzie and Dan, thank you so much for the excellent work you do on the podcast and in your books. Your friendly banter, tales of Vermont life, and graceful responses to etiquette conundrums are the highlight of my podcast listening week. Congratulations especially to Lizzie on the new book. It's a bold concept, beautifully designed, and my husband has been enjoying reading it. Oh, I'm so glad. Thank you. I would love your advice on how to thank a former colleague who recommended me for a job at his new place of employment. I ended up getting the job, and we will be working together again soon. It's a small startup with fewer than 10 employees, and our roles are in separate fields, product design and marketing, respectively. I feel so grateful that he not only alerted me to the job opening, but sent an email introduction recommending me to the head of the company. After an interview, I was offered the job. How can I thank my colleague for being considerate and helpful to the extent that I now have a new job that is a step up for me? I guess it goes without saying that a handwritten note should be the starting point, correct? Beyond that, a basket of muffins doesn't seem sufficient for facilitating such a significant life change. I don't want to make him feel uncomfortable by being too gushing. Would the act of giving a gift be overstepping professional boundaries? Our roles are different, so there is no seniority issue, and both our former and current workplaces are relatively casual, think Silicon Valley. I'd be grateful for any thoughts you have on the matter. Warm regards, Matt. What about going out to dinner? That's what what I was thinking, too. That's like my first thought, is what if you... And that's only if the social interaction feels appropriate to your work relationship. You know, it's a former colleague who recommended me for a job at a new place of employment. So you guys worked together before. You might have a little bit more of that, you know, we're buds feeling at work because you've been in a work environment together before. So if that feels appropriate, I would say dinner out for sure. If not, I might do something like, could you afford tickets to a local sporting event or something like that? If that's something the person is into or it's like, you know, I'm thinking events like tickets to the opera or the theater or something like that. like Something social. But I wouldn't do like a watch or, you know, like an item for the home. I wouldn't buy him a plant. I like the way you're thinking about this. You're trying to avoid, I'm sensing, the feeling this is a payoff in some way. Yeah. That there's some sort of or reward uh, yeah, yeah, for you, a headhunter. Yeah, there's, yeah, it's no like, yeah, you don't want it to feel like a payoff, but you also don't want it to feel sentimental. Like, I could imagine someone being like, oh, I got you this tree to plant in your backyard because you're always talking about garden. But like trees are like often significant, like kind last of, a long last time. Last a long time. They're often like, you know, for special anniversaries or like when someone dies. But it, 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 I could, there are some things that feel too personal or too long term. And that's why I like the idea of a dinner or a sporting event or a, an artistic event, because that gives you like some kind of this thing happens and that was a nice treat and that was lovely. And I don't know. That feels like the right kind of thing. It doesn't feel like a buy-off. Something social, something, an event. I really like the idea of connecting to it personally, that you invite 
him or her out to lunch or dinner. I think that's a nice way to both. Do you mean doing the thing with them when you say connecting to it personally or do you mean something they would like? I mean doing it with them yeah, and particularly like the meal and doing it with them. because okay. that also gives you that important and excellent opportunity to thank them. Mm-hmm. And again, without gushing, but appropriately in person, looking them in the eye, smiling away from that work context, you could tell them how much you appreciate what they did for you, how much so you appreciate your new work. When you're thinking of a buy-off, are you thinking of it as if you just gave them a gift certificate to a restaurant or the tickets to the game for them to go with their partner, that that would feel like a buy-off, whereas going with them doesn't? Not entirely. No, so that's not it. Okay, because there was part of me that was thinking that allowing them to go on their own truly makes it a gift, whereas if you're a part of it, you're a part of that enjoyment, which is okay because there's a thanks happening there. But there is this, like, there are two camps out there who kind of think when it comes to gift giving, is it really a gift if you're a part of it? And that's, like, that's a thing out there. So I don't know. I I wasn't sure if you meant, like, it feels less of a buy-off if you're a part of it or not. Not necessarily. Okay. I guess I'm thinking okay. more that there's a, a range of options here. Okay. And you could choose something that feels appropriate to you. And the relationship you have with this person and the relationship you have at work, too. Exactly. Yeah. If it wasn't something where you would say, I'd love to take you out to lunch, talk about our new company, thank you for helping me find a home here. Okay. See, that's key, though. Whatever you do, you need to include This is a thank you for, you know, getting me this job or for sending that extra email. I really wanted to do this as a thank you for helping me get this job, that kind of stuff. I do think saying helping is nice because you did get the job. You were qualified. You were the right person. You had someone speak up for you, you know, which is great. But you also, good job to you. You did this. I'm also thinking here that that handwritten note is a great first step. You absolutely are correct in your thinking that that's your starting point, that you write down, make explicit your thanks, your appreciation, and your interest in following up. That's a great place to mention something like, I'd love to take you out at some point, or I'd love to treat you to lunch when it works so that I can also thank you in person. I'm also thinking about One of the messages that we develop as a theme on this show, which is to always be thinking about what this can teach you moving forward. And I would say make a little mental note, make a little reminder for yourself to help someone out someday. Remember how much you appreciated this moment and be that person for someone else in the future. And that can be another way to pay something like this forward and take that good feeling and translate it into some really good action on your part. Nat, we hope that this new job continues to be exciting and works well for you. And good luck delivering that thanks. On the other hand, thank you is a simple way to repay those who do things for you. That's courtesy at work. Our next question is titled, Unwelcome Guests Not Welcome. Hi, I'm sending out paper invitations for a birthday party. Many of the folks I am choosing to invite will mingle and socialize with folks I am not choosing to invite. How can I note this on the invitation to encourage consideration of keeping the exclusion to a minimum? I'd like to avoid people talking about the party among people who won't receive invites. What's the etiquette for this? Thanks, S.L. This is such a natural concern. 
And at the same time, there's not a whole lot nope. you can do here. Uh-uh. Because you don't want to put on the invitation, and it's going to sound awkward as soon as I say it. You're invited to the party. Don't tell so-and-so. Or don't. please don't tell anyone. Or this is a secret party that I would rather you didn't talk about to our friends. Please note the guest list and do not speak beyond its walls. Like, no, you can't do it. It's so tempting because we know why you want to. It's a sweet thought. It's a protective you impulse. It is. It can be. Now, I like the fact that you chose the word protective for that because protective can often be something. Self-protective. And I feel that happening, that we're worried, oh, we've done something where we've invited a smaller group and these people who I do see regularly and really nice and they've talked about my birthday with me. They're going to be bummed that I then didn't invite them to it. Da, da, da. It's okay. There is this piece that's that's missing in the brain when we go down that path of thinking that gets us so far to worrying that we want to tell people, don't talk about this to other people's secret birthday party. Okay, guys. And what we've skipped over is the part of the brain that says, it's okay for me to have a smaller birthday party. It's okay for me to have a small event. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. So first big etiquette point, you get to, as a host, set your guest list. Yes. And you get to make those choices for all kinds of reasons. It can be social preference. It can be the size of the table that you're going to be sitting around. It can be your budget for a party. It's really up to you. And it's up to your guests. Second point of etiquette. To not take offense if they think they should be included and aren't. So technically they're not your guests. But we talk about this with wedding invitations all the time, that it's up to people to be understanding about those limitations and constraints and not feel aggrieved for not getting invited. And that's that's a can be a big ask. So that was going to be the follow up for the where your brain has jumped is that it's the other thing you're forgetting is that other people are grownups, too. And they understand and they know that this happens from time to time. And it can hurt. I'm not saying it doesn't hurt. It is always a bummer when you run into a group of your friends that are all out and they didn't invite you. Like, that is a bummer. But it happens all the time, you know? Like, it, it just, it does happen all the time. It happened to me the other week. No. Like, but it wasn't a bummer because the friends were at a restaurant I had taken them to. And I was like, oh, good. They liked it. They're back. And I had a date that night, so... So it was easy, you know. It was a good moment of, yes, I would have loved to have been out with that group of girls that night. But, like, that's not what was happening. And your friends who aren't invited to this party will have other plans. They will understand. And it's just good to put that benefit of the doubt out there. I was laughing hysterically on the other side of the mic while Dan was talking because I'm wondering, do we need to even open up the can of worms about birthday parties and who hosts them? Because this is, like... One of those old school traditions, you don't actually throw a birthday party for yourself. And but? but in a modern society, we kind of all do throw birthday parties for ourselves. And more and more, it's often on us to do something for our birthdays. Otherwise, often it won't happen, especially if you don't have a significant other um, or family close by. Uh, it can be... It could be one of those things where you it is on you to gather people. And so there is just that there, too, where when you aren't the one who's actually sending out the guest list, then you don't have to worry about who did get invited and who didn't. Um, you can just say, we were going for something small and my host suggested this number, you know, um, if it's true. Again, no white lies. But that is it's just a too part. big a can it's, of worms. OK, because I, I want to say I know it's like off kind of on another question, but it is kind of an interesting thing. And we get the birthday question a lot. Can I host a birthday party for myself? 
yourself? I think you can at this point. It is something we have talked about before and I think we'll talk about again. Mm -hmm. I say slightly caniformish because we're not entirely sure this question is someone throwing a birthday party for themselves. Wait, what do you mean? Could be. It says for a birthday party. Oh my gosh, look at that. Okay, so. There are all kinds of considerations that come into making that guest list. There are. And it's a good point that you don't know how those decisions got made. Third etiquette point. Mm. It's up to people who receive an invitation to observe good etiquette as well. And one of the things you do when you receive a good invitation is you don't necessarily go run around and check who else got them, rub people's noses in it who didn't get them. Yeah, you definitely don't do that. Make decisions about whether or not you attend based on who else was invited. Definitely There are all kinds of etiquettes that are important (laughs) when you're receiving an invitation. And in some ways as a host, you have to trust the people that you're inviting to observe that, to not make people who weren't invited feel bad about it or feel excluded, to talk about how awesome it's going to be before it happens and how fantastic it was afterwards with people who might have been on that cusp or who might have been invited in some circumstances and weren't who might be feeling a little bad about it. Okay, but hello, we live in the world of social media. People are going to post. They're going to, like, check in on sites that tell where their location is. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that people do and participate in. Is it up to the host to mention anything about that, to simply say, hey, this is a small gathering. Let's try to be sensitive about that on social media. I mean, is it legit that you can say that? I'm not sure that it is. I think there's a question of how. And I think you're tiptoeing up to that place of what can I do that doesn't necessarily impede upon someone else's decision making and their ability to act well on their own. Yeah. I think that you, if you're going to say something, do it offline. You don't do it on the invitation itself. Yeah, no, definitely. It's the kind of thing you could mention if it was easy to mention in passing. This is going to be a smaller gathering. I was hoping not to... Blast it all over social. Exactly. Or at the event itself, as any host has the prerogative, you could talk about whether you'd like people to maybe not share pictures of the dinner or your home. I think you could say something. It's weird, though, because I know our advice is, of course, in your home, you get to make those kind of rules. And even my mother says before Thanksgiving dinner, take your photos now and then please put your phones away. And that certainly seems appropriate. But it is interesting how when you actually think about applying it, if it comes across as too overbearing, like too controlling, you know, and it's it's one thing when you are coming at it from an angle of really want this to be a phones free evening. You know what I mean? But I think it sounds different when it's I just want to keep this party quiet because other people aren't invited. And I think there is a difference between those. So honestly, asking yourself what your motive is is important. And that was something that was going to be a final, final point. I was going to say, for a very short question, we have like gone a million directions with it. But it's interesting. It is. And I think that interrogation of your own motives and the way you're feeling about it is what's going to help you find the appropriate dosage and tone for any of these offline messages that you would like to deliver or any discussions that you have with people At the event itself. And I think a really light touch, a really small dosage, keeping the focus on the celebration, the event, the guest of honor, whoever that is. Those are your primary objectives. And not feeling bad about who isn't there, really giving yourself permission to enjoy the party, stay focused on those other things, feel good about the role you're doing as a host is going to help keep 
any other message that you do tiptoe up to delivered well? You talked about motivation. And my one encouragement would be that if your motivation is coming from a place of insecurity, that I would not move forward. That comfort is one thing, but insecurity is something different. And I would trust that the other people who are not invited are grown-ups. And I would trust that the guests who are invited aren't going to rub anybody's faces in anything. And the combination of trusting people to be adults, I think, will help you feel more secure and act from a place of confidence and fun and positivity rather than a place of insecurity and nerves and fear. And that's always going to be better for either uh, whether you're the the person being celebrated or whether you're the person hosting the party. SL, thank you so much for giving us so much to talk about when it came to birthdays and invitations and parties where not everyone is invited. It certainly is a conversation we will keep having on the show. Mother, why do you suppose Mary didn't invite me to her party? Are you sure you didn't get an invitation? Maybe they thought I wouldn't want to go to a party. They probably thought I wouldn't know how to act. You'll get an invitation to the party. There's just been some mix-up. Wait and see. Our next question is about hopeful home buyers. Hello, my husband and I are wanting to buy a home that is currently not for sale. We do not know the current residents, but are familiar with the neighborhood. We are ready and able to make a fair offer. Our problem is how to actually go about making the ask. How would you initiate the conversation without being awkward or gauche? Our plan is to write a letter and take it and some cookies to the home to introduce ourselves. I would love to hear your take on a sample script. Thank you. Hopeful home buyers. Before Dan answers this, because he was in this exact situation, the only thing I am going to put on it, because I know you're just going to listen to Dan's advice because he's done it, um, is that I would be creeped out by someone who showed up at my house with a letter and cookies saying, I want to buy your house and move in. I would be like, back off. So my only just right out the gate suggestion would be a letter. And this has happened to me, too, where actually a letter came on my doorstep and they said, we're going through the neighborhood and just letting folks know that we are interested in living in this neighborhood. They they had some specific requirements. Um, they needed a house that was going to be able to be turned into a wheelchair-friendly house or already a wheelchair-friendly house. My house actually fit that description, but I wasn't looking to move. But it felt so much more approachable to have something that I, I felt so much safer, to be honest, having someone approach my house as a stranger with just a note that was left on the door that said, we're interested in this area. We've got, you know, like we're putting these notes around, you know, please let us know or if you know of anyone. It was very word of mouthy. It was very neighborly in a lot of ways for people who didn't live in the neighborhood. You said I had experience with yeah. this, and I, I do from the perspective yeah, of sending really the letter. I have experience But with you this. have a lot right. of experience, with, experience this. with this. <laughs> and I, I appreciate that <laughs> I perspective that. and insight. But you've actually been hopeful homebuyers in this situation. You guys wanted a house, and you literally wrote a letter to get it. You were talking about this the other day. <laughs> it was one of the most miraculous experiences I've had in my life, at least in the last few years. And... It was the last time Pooja and I were expecting and we were living in a small cabin in a pretty remote part of the state and 
Pooja was saying. It's an understatement, guys. I love it here. It's beautiful. It's <laughs> magical. And it is so impractical. Yeah. As I get more pregnant, I'm thinking more and more about living here with babies. You guys, Dan and Pooja had a footbridge over like probably a 40 foot, 40, 50 foot drop. 20 like, to 30. Yeah, it was tall. <laughs> it was big. And if you could just imagine trying to do like groceries and like a crying baby and a stroller, like you guys would have had to have built a hut at the other side for the stroller and all that stuff. And you would have had to have like so much safety stuff put in place. It's like The house sat on the edge of a rushing cliff. brook. Yeah, a cliff. <laughs> there were all kinds of concerns. And there were some nice things about that place also. I didn't want to leave. Yeah. I loved it. I loved this scenic, picturesque, quiet forest fairyland. And <laughs> One of the reasons that we were sort of dragging our feet looking was we didn't have a place that we knew we wanted to be. So the question became, where would you leave here to go? And a little bit like you, we knew where that was. And we began with a letter to the current residents of the house that we most wanted in the world. It was next door to Dan's parents. (laughs) I have a certain connection to that particular place. I love it. I confess. And sending that letter was a really effective strategy. It really worked. It gave the people that were living there a very clear message. We talked about where we were in our lives, our connection to the place, and that we were very much interested. If it was something they were willing to consider, we'd love to talk to them about it. We signed it in a way that had enough contact information so they could get back in touch with us in a number of different ways, email, phone call, or reply via letter. As our relationship with those owners of the house grew. Bear in mind, these are people you've known. I mean, they've lived in that house for m- much of the time that your parents have lived in the house right below them. So the, this, these were friendly people even, people you probably could have brought cookies to. <laughs> and yet you still kind of put the, I think, the respectful distance for someone to absorb such a request and ask and respond only if they felt comfortable doing so. And I think that is really nice. It's such a big ask. Huge. It's such a personal thing. I think that respecting someone's autonomy and space and their right to make whatever decision they want is an important part of the ask. And showing that self-awareness will help make someone feel much more comfortable taking the inquiry seriously. The woman in the couple who we had approached talked to us about how she had taken the letter and showed it to her children, Mm -hmm. that having that physical – Thing that they could all read and share was a really important part of their ability as a family to consider the offer, think about it, understand where we were coming from. So I really do like the idea of a physical letter. Lizzie mentioned one that was left on her door. I think that you can get the address, do a little bit of detective work and mail it to them as well. Mm-hmm. You can always write the residence of, you know. Yep. It'll look different if it's a handwritten letter as opposed to, you know, the pre-printed resident at and then the address, you know. Um, it'll it'll look like something we're saving and reading as opposed to something that's just junk mail. Absolutely. And I do think that letter is a nice way to also formalize and show that you're serious about what you're talking about. It's not just an email that you're throwing out there, but it's something that you've considered, you've thought about, and you've really – made an effort to make the medium of the communication part of that message as well. It also lands 
At absolutely no interruption. I mean, you don't know then when the message is received. That letter may get received and they might not open it for a month or it might get lost. All kinds of things could happen as opposed to the doorstep where you, you know, you know that you've spoken to them about it. But it does give space and breathing room. You just never know what part of someone's day you're walking into. And I just I think that that's really key in this situation. I'm going to complicate things just a hint. And I'm going to say that I've also definitely heard of people who've had success building relationships with people before making an inquiry about whether or not you could purchase a house from someone when they were done with it. Dan, 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 we cannot suggest that they stalk people at the local coffee shop. No. (laughs) Okay, what do you mean? (laughs) What I mean is if you're talking about a very different time frame, if you're not trying to drive to an offer, if it's not something that you're planning to act on in the near future, you might have a different strategy. You might work on getting to know (laughs) different people in the neighborhood and to build some personal relationships. That's not what I'm sensing is going on here. So I think the the charm offensive, the cookies (laughs) and the visits and the just getting to know people – isn't in line with your intention of getting to a place where you're offering to make a purchase. Yeah. Be honest with yourself about what you're doing and then do the thing that's appropriate to that end. Hopeful homebuyers, I wish you so much luck in this search and this quest for a place to live. It's a really big deal. And based on the thought behind this question, I'm sure you're going to navigate it well. You know, Nora, that's not bad at all. With a little practice, you'll be a wizard writing letters. Thanks, Walker. You know, I think writing letters is going to be a lot of fun. Thank you for your questions. Please send us updates, comments, or feedback on our answers to awesome etiquette at emilypost.com. Or you can leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463 or reach out to us via Twitter. We are at Emily Post Inst, I-N-S-T, or on Facebook, where we are both Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. Just remember to use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette in your social media posts so that we know you want your question on the show. It's time for our feedback segment, where we hear from you about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. From episode 237, the question about Thai food, we have another piece of feedback reminding us that the Thai don't actually use chopsticks. Hello, Awesome Etiquette team. Regarding episode 237 and the question of Dan eating Thai fried rice with a spoon, I have some feedback for the show. It turns out Dan was doing it sort of properly. The proper way to eat Thai food, i.e. how it's done in Thailand, is to use a fork and spoon only. The fork is used to push the food onto the spoon, and the spoon delivers the food to the mouth. Chopsticks are for Chinese and Japanese food, but many Thai restaurants have them on hand because so many American people unknowingly ask for them. However you eat, I hope you enjoy your food, especially Thai food, which is my absolute favorite. Thanks for your entertaining and informative show. I love chopsticks too, but when in Thailand. (laughs) I like that. Lizzie, I think it's time for a return to Fo Hung, and you can watch me eat my fried rice with a spoon. As long as you're buying. Deal. <laughs> Thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please keep them coming. You can send your comment or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. 
It's time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today we're going to venture into some embarrassing stories land. Lizzie, tell us what we've got. So I came across this Twitter feed that I thought fit perfectly into the launch of the submissions portal for the Mistakes Were Made book because it was all about embarrassing mistakes. Twitter user Nicole Cliff posed the question, and I did modify this for our audience with sensitive ears. Who else dramatically messed up doing a fancy thing because they didn't know the unspoken rules? Bonus if it's food related. And we thought we would share some of the replies, one of which is quite quite the stale of a castle in France and messing up when it came to cheese. <laughs> Our first one comes from Jill Kolognoski. Jill writes, On our honeymoon at a fancy Fiji resort, a server was walking around the pool handing out slices of watermelon on toothpicks. He held one out a bit awkwardly for my husband, and my husband panicked, leaned in, and ate the watermelon straight off the toothpick in the guy's hand. I could see myself doing that. And then couldn't you also see yourself just being like, this feels really weird and wrong. That wasn't what you meant, was it? I can also see the person I'm with looking at me and letting me know it. Malia Jackson contributes, William Wordsworth's grandson was a friend of my fancy great aunt. I was a hick. I was having tea at his super fancy country house. He asked me what I was reading which I did not know was British for majoring in college in, and I answered Harry Potter. <laughs> I don't know what other titles would have been, like, worse. Like, what if it had been, like, Daniel Steele? Like, you know? Thank you for teaching me some British translation. <laughs> Malia also wrote in with another contribution after prompted by a friend. She said, a friend who was a fancy waiter had someone order the corkage fee, pronouncing it corkaz fay. And my dude helped him save face by saying, I'm sorry, sir, but we're all out of the corkaz fay. Nice save. I know, right? There's actually, in this entire thread, there's a number of stories of servers kindly, like, helping people out of really embarrassing and financially potentially detrimental situations. Kate Bond's story is one that will make many foodies cringe. This was not me, but a server told me a story about a beautiful, nervous young woman who was at a fancy restaurant, Providence, on a date. They brought around the truffles for her to sniff and decide if she wanted some shaved onto her food, and she bit one like an apple. Oh my gosh, that's like probably like a gosh knows how many hundred dollar bite like piece of mushroom. I hope it was yummy. I know, right? I could imagine that's a lot of flavor in one moment. <laughs> Dan, you should read this next one being our cigar aficionado. Ferret Steinmetz writes, When I was 27 and way out of my depth at a fancy conference where salesmen were trying to impress me, I was offered a fine Cuban cigar. I think I know where this might be going. <laughs> I bit off the end with my teeth and spat it out because that's what I saw people do in Westerns. And, well, apparently, no. <laughs> that is not what I was thinking. There are so many ways a cigar can go wrong. Oh, really? There are. I mean, there's many ways it can go right, but there's many ways it can go wrong. <laughs> Bianca Casusol writes in with one that totally reminds me of Pretty Woman where they're counting the tines on the fork. I know the scene well. My mom called forks with three tines, threeks, my whole life. And I thought that was the real name for them. 
I found out when I was 29 years old. <laughs> Can you imagine being like, hey, do you have any threeks? Like, Those are forks. forks. Those are threeks. These are threeks. I wonder if there are tweaks as well. <laughs> this one happened to me. You too? Yes, I should say me too. I didn't actually write this one. <laughs> well, this also happened to Kelly Wickhamhurst. Dressed up and excited about being taken out for a fancy dinner, so I put my white napkin on my lap first thing. Instantly, a waiter was by my side. Change out, miss? Pardon me? Change out? You require a change out? He meant I needed a black napkin to go with my black dress. This is one that got me, too. I had never had that happen at a restaurant before, but they will give you a black napkin so that you don't get any white lint from a white napkin on your black dress. And so it's called a changeout. But if you're unfamiliar with it or if you've never dined in a situation where that's been offered to you, it's a very you. it does feel like someone's talking like it's like I recognize the words you're saying, but I do not understand their meaning, sir. Please help me out. I had that very same moment. Very same moment. I'm sure you handled it with grace. Yeah, I said, oh, okay, sure. Now I know what you mean. Dylan Matthews writes about a situation that I can sympathize with. Oh, yeah? It begins at a contra dance. Okay, that makes sense. (laughs) Freshman year, I went to a contra dance and at one point thought I was supposed to step over people's linked arms. The caller stopped the dance and announced to a full dining hall, in my 40 years of calling, I have never seen someone try that before. Could you imagine your freshman year? Like, you just try to go and participate in something. And it literally record scratches you, not only in this moment, but in the 40 years that have preceded it. I've never seen this. It's like a giant neon sign pointing at you and your most embarrassing moment. Oh, my gosh. Did you get, like, props for totally making it through that? And I just can't leave this without saying contra dancing is so much fun. You do have to learn to participate and play well, but it's so worth it. Give yourself a second chance. I can't find it, but there is one uh, by an Andrew Ross who um, most people had written in about the finger bowl, right? Which is a really classic one where they drank the finger bowl as opposed to using it to clean their fingers. And that's like a classic Emily Post story too. But Andrew wrote in about having thought it was a finger bowl, but really it was chicken consomme, which is basically like chicken jello. Greasy water. (laughs) He's like washing his hands in it. I thought that was great. But the one that takes the cake, the one that absolutely gets it is uh, Gillian Brockwell and I or Jillian I'm not sure how she pronounces it and she tells this, this tale of going to her friend's chateau which was technically a castle I briefly lived in Paris with a dude which was a disaster and when I needed to get out of there I called a French girl I had known a few years back when she studied abroad in Texas she very generously invited me to join her at her family's castle in the countryside. Now, the word in French for castle is chateau, which to us is more like a summer home. So that's what I thought I was heading to. Nope. Girl lived in a castle. I got a hint when she picked me up from the train station. Okay, Julianne, when we are just young people eating, maybe we are very casual. But with my grandfather and my family, I would like to give you some advices for the formal meal. And this is how it's written in the text. Z-Z-E-E, formal meals, all of that. First, you must never touch a knife to anything green or that comes from the sea. The chef should have cut the second course small enough to not need it. If you use the knife, it is an insult to the chef. 
Second, never put your hands in your lap the way the British do. We think that is disgusting. It went on like this the whole drive to the castle. The literal castle. So we dressed up for this formal meal. There are pre-Ds in the Grand Hall for an hour before we eat. I'm assuming that means pre-drinks. I am now, we will substitute the word sloshed. But I can't pour myself any water because the rules are a man in my quadrant of the table is supposed to notice my empty glass and do it for me. But the man in my quadrant is my French friend's extremely elderly grandfather, and he ain't noticing. (laughs) I turn away for a moment, and he fills my glass with more wine. Now I have to finish it and start the hope he notices process again. So there's pre-drinks for an hour, so she gets drunk. At the table, she's not allowed to pour herself water. So just to catch us up so far, we're at a castle. There's clear behavior that we have to do under one area of who we're hanging out with versus another. A lot of the norms and, and cultural insults are things we are not familiar with. To boot, there's a lot of alcohol being served, and one of the cultural norms is we can't pour ourselves water being female. The gentleman in my quadrant of the table, being the elderly gentleman host, is supposed to do that for me, and he's not noticing. He just keeps pouring me more wine that if I don't drink it, I have... I'm, I'm rude. So we're really in like unfair etiquette territory here. And it gets worse. The meal begins, right? We haven't even gotten to the meal yet, which had all the big concerns. We are served by French maids in actual French maid outfits, but not sexy Halloween-like. These are older, stouter women with doilies on their heads. I'm doing okay. I remember how I'm supposed to receive a dish, pass a dish. I keep my hands on the table. Then the main course comes. It is chicken jello. Again, it's chicken jello showing up for the second time today. The chef roasted a chicken, pulled all the meat off, set it flat in a fancy casserole dish, mixed some cream and gelatin, and then put that in the fridge to set. So it is an opaque plasticine sea of white with little chicken islands poking out, which is a yucky consistency, but not all that offensive in flavor. Kind of bland. The problem with chicken jello is that jello is opaque, so you can't see if you're biting into the biggest piece of cartilage in the world, which I, of course, did. So now we are adding to this is like those books that just pile it on each page after page. We now have a foreign piece of food we cannot swallow in our mouths. So I am sloshed beyond belief and panicking, and I can't spit it into my napkin because I know her grandfather or the maid will notice and kick me out. So I decide, you're just going to have to eat this cartilage, girl. (laughs) Choo-choo, try to swallow, nope. Choo-choo, try to swallow, nope. It's not working. I need a new plan. (laughs) Can you just imagine this poor woman sitting at this table? I decided the least offensive thing I can do is to excuse myself to go to the bathroom and spit it out. So I tuck it into my cheek and pardonnez-moi myself out of there. And then I get lost in the castle. I know I'm not supposed to be wandering these halls. And I am certain they are timing my absence with an internal aristocratic clock. I can't find a bathroom, but I can find the front door. And the dining room faced the back. So there I was, in my fancy clothes, spitting cartilage into the garden in front of a castle, kicking mulch over it with my heels to hide it. And I kid you not, 
There was a poodle in the front yard, paws crossed, looking at me in utter judgment, as if to say, You are so not French. <laughs> to this day, it is the most American I have ever felt. P.S. After the meal, my friend informed me that I made a faux pas. During the cheese course, you have eaten the rind of the camembert, but you have not eaten the rind of the puy. It's the other way around. And that's it. Like, I mean, is that just not the most etiquette like, mortifying, like, situation you've ever heard of? From many thousand miles away and the future, looking back, I'm learning a lot as this goes on. I can't imagine living through it. Oh, my goodness. If anyone has a story like that, please submit it to Mistakes Were Made. (laughs) This is us going down a road we so rarely go down. Where we really look at the embarrassing, the awkward, those moments when etiquette doesn't feel like something comfortable but feels like something very strange it really really does thank you to nicole cliff for inspiring this thread that brought these stories out they are fabulous the thread is really really fun to read um, if you get a chance to look for it on twitter and please feel free to contribute your own stories to us again whether it's for awesome etiquette podcast or whether it is for the mistakes were made audible book we love being able to laugh over these moments because we do live through them. And that is what makes etiquette a really safe and wonderful place is that at the end of the day, we can always apologize and we can always laugh with hindsight. There's a lot to think and talk about on the subject of manners and many good reasons to ask. Are manners important? We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. Today, we have one from Bridget. Hey, Lizzie and Dan. As you know, I work in the news business, and about a month ago, I was sent down the hall of records to get a copy of a court case related to one of the stories we were working on. My boss needed the documents the next day. I had never requested court docs before, and when I got there, it turned out that the case I was requesting was about 300 pages long. Well, the office had a 100 page per day per person printing limit, so they told me I would have to come back each day after to get the rest of the docs. That wasn't going to work because my boss needed it, and I really needed a win as it was early on in the job. Lucky for me, I met a private investigator who does this stuff all the time, and she said sometimes if they're in a good mood, they'll print more than they're supposed to. Long story short, she smooth-talked the clerk into printing everything I needed, which made my life a lot easier. So cheers to her, Bridget. Bridget, thanks so much for sharing. That's Bridget, our assistant producer, who is out there working in L.A. and doing amazing things. (laughs) Rubbing elbows with private investigators and making things happen for her boss. I know, right? It's very cool. Bridget, thanks so much for sending in that salute. And please remember to send in salutes. We need to hear from you. There's got to be some good etiquette happening out there in the world. Tell us about it. Let's spread the good word. And thank you for listening. Thank you to everyone who sent us something. Please connect with us and share the show with your friends, family, and coworkers. 
You can send us questions, comments, and salutes by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. By phone, you can leave us a message or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, I'm at Daniel underscore Post. And I'm at Lizzie A. Post. That's Lizzie with an I-E. On Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. And on Instagram, we are Emily Post Institute. Please consider becoming a sustaining member. You can find out more about this by visiting awesomeetiquette.emilypost.com. Subscribe to the ads version of our show on iTunes or your favorite podcast app, and please consider leaving us a review. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine and assistant produced by Bridget Dowd. Thanks, Thanks, Chris Chris and Bridget. Bridget.